Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Well, I want to talk to you today and with you, not to you, but with you about Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I'm going to be living, uh, reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, which one do you have up there, Michael? Okay, okay. So there'll be a little bit of uh, back and forth here. Um, and, and Paul is, is as, as we've talked about the last few weeks, in the midst of writing his to uh, the believers at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, and, and just really trying to encapsulate the, the gospel in a way that he feels would be related to the people and the culture and the things that are going on that he knows about there uh, with the Ephesians. And in chapter 3, we have this interesting uh, dialogue uh, within himself that, that it seems like Paul is talking, and, and he talks about God's mysterious plan revealed. And it's really interesting how he starts off with verse 1. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. I want to stop there. Um, the first half of, the, of this, uh, verses 1 through 13, by the way, with that thought, he kind of trails. He trails off into something incredible that we're going to spend the most of our time talking about. I like the fact that uh, verses 2 through 14, through 13 rather, is almost like a rabbit trail. And it's, it's, it's something that he picks up his thought back again in verse 14. When he says, when I think of all this, I fall on my knees in prayer for you. And so it's almost like the first half of, of the chapter is almost like a rabbit trail, a stream of consciousness that, that Paul talks about. And, and I find that really interesting when I was looking at this. The first thing that I noticed in verse 1 is that he, he's very humble. Paul's very humble. I mean, this is the guy that wrote so much of the New Testament, and, and yet uh, he's, he's got this humility about him, and, and he touches on it in verses 7 and 8. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Um, and, and then he says he's been given the privilege. So it's almost like he, he thinks of himself as, as less than and, and lower. But we all know that he's, he's one of the most educated, and he, he goes through his, his resume in a couple of other places in the New Testament where he says, you know, I've... I've been this, I've done this, I've done this, I'm, I'm of the right clan, the house, the tribe, and, and yet here it's just the opposite. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and, and that it's a benefit to you, to everybody else, uh, to all the churches that he's at. And, and he calls himself in, in verse 7 and 8, uh, though I'm the least deserving of all people. And so it's almost interesting that uh, he, he says that, um, because you would think, Paul, man, you've, you've just revealed so much and, and just really the first two chapters are, are packed full of theology that, 
the church needs. And here you, you go and talk to yourself as a, a prisoner of Christ. But then he also says that, that Paul uh, is, is a prisoner. It, it alludes to several places where Paul gets arrested. And so I think he's reminded, uh, jumping back, and we'll, you know, uh, uh, bookend this, rather, in the last verse where he talks about, um, of this, this section where he, he talks about, don't worry about me, I'm suffering on your behalf. And so uh, he's a prisoner for Christ, and one of the many times that he's gotten arrested. By the way, does anybody else think it's weird that a convicted prisoner is is responsible for writing most of the uh, large portion of the New Testament? I mean, have you ever thought of that? <laughs> he's he's uh, somebody who's been in prison a long time. Uh, in in uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 28, uh, one of the commentators uh, said this is, alludes to when he was arrested for bringing Greeks into the temple and teaching. And so uh, he's just reminding the people in Ephesus that I'm, I'm doing this for you. It's, it's for your glory, and, and I don't care what happens to me. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And then in verses 2 through 5, it's interesting that he talks about the fact that uh, God chose him to be this special messenger. In fact, in, in verse 3, it says, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed this, his mysterious plan to me. And I found that interesting. I look back and forth, and it, it may not be as a mystery that he's talking about, but we're not sure what he says by... Uh, as I talked to you about before. Uh, we're not sure if he's alluding to verses uh, uh, chapters 1 and 2, where he talks about uh, the grace of God being for all and, and the inherited, uh, the fact that uh, uh, Jews and Gentiles would be all available to, to take part in, in the passion of Christ. But the other option that, that I found interesting is there might have been another letter to the church at Ephesus that we just don't have anymore, that there might be some other things that he had written earlier to them to talk about the good news. And thankfully, uh, Paul's one of those people who likes to repeat himself and, and, and just doesn't say something once. And thank goodness, because he wrote to so many different churches that he repeats himself and is very clear and concise in what he says, and is very on track, but he is repetitious. So it's nice to know that he repeats this, because it's a summary of what he talks about in Galatians and so many other places about this mystery. So we have kind of a, a summary, if you will. And like I said, it could have been just a stream of consciousness that he had, uh, just thinking almost like a rabbit trail, when he, when he thought about the fact that he's a prisoner of Christ and who he's a prisoner for, the Gentiles, and not just the Jews anymore because they've, they've had their you know, awakening, if you will, but the, the Gentiles, uh, the rest of us, if you will, don't have the good news of, of Jesus. And so he, he goes on about that. He can tell he's very passionate about this. I like in uh, verse 6, he, he says this is the... Uh, mystery. This is God's plan, the mystery that he kept from uh, generations. 
Um, and, and jumping back up to verse 5, though, uh, it says that God did not reveal it to previous generations. And so just like we were talking about earlier, God's timing was just right. Because when, when he, he, he made known, uh, not until just now, with the coming of Christ, His plan. So he actually had this from the beginning of time, Paul says, until just now. And, and the, through his spirit, he's revealed it to his apostles and prophets. So I want to ask you, how many of you like a good mystery? Good mystery novel or a good uh, mystery show? Uh, uh, maybe sit around and play a, a good round of Clue? I'm kind of showing my age. Some of you may not know what that is, but... Um, uh, it seems like good mystery stories will sometimes, or good stories in general, will come in a trilogy in three parts, right? Um, what are some of the trilogies that, that uh, you like that come to mind? Books that are at least, at least a trilogy, uh, stories that are at least a trilogy. I think of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, The Fellowship of the Ring and uh, The Hobbit uh, trilogy. Um, he got, he got to writing uh, quite a bit, so he ended up doing some before and, and some after. Uh, but it started off as a, as a trilogy. Uh, there's lots of trilogies. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's almost like Paul is giving us the third part of an incredible trilogy. And uh, commentators say that this is, is, is sprinkled throughout his writings that uh, Christ was foretold about in the Old Testament. And this is nothing that, you know, is not wonderful ponderance of new information. Um, but uh, I don't know, that might have been an enlightenment there. Um, but uh, Christ, that's okay. Christ was foretold about in the Old Testament. And then when Christ came, it was both the fulfillment of the Old Testament and an incredible new revelation of God's love. Because you remember the, the curtain was torn from top to bottom so that there is no separation now from God and man. Christ bridged that gap. And uh, we don't have to depend on the high priest once a year to go and sacrifice for our sins. Uh, we can, and, and Paul touches on this too, we can boldly go and, and be before God. Something that had never been contemplated, never been thought of. It, it was heresy to think that we ourselves could go before God. We always had to have a mediator, someone in between us. And now the third part of the trilogy is that not only did God come and, and remove the barriers and, and sacrifice Himself, but now God has opened the door for everybody else. He's opened the door, and, and, and it's not only just the Jews and, and just if you, you know, convert and, and do all this and, and, and go through a bunch of red tape, if you will, spiritual, re religious red tape, but now it's open to everybody, and all of a sudden God has this mysterious plan that He had from the very beginning of time that's being revealed. It's almost like uh, uh, if you turned on the TV and saw the banner, breaking news, breaking you know, this is Paul's way of saying, this is breaking news, everybody. Because before this, before God, before Jesus came, 
sacrificed Himself for us, it would have been unthinkable to think that Jews and Gentiles would be in the same place worshiping the same God the same way and to add insult to injury, if you will, to be co-equal heirs in God's wonderful inheritance of His grace and His love. That was reserved for the Jews. And uh, so when I started thinking about the mystery behind this that Paul keeps using, um, everybody likes a good mystery, right? When I was younger, I loved to watch Scooby-Doo when I was a kid. Not when I was 20, but when I was a kid, I watched Scooby-Doo, loved it. I was like, oh my goodness, this, this bunch of friends and a talking dog get to solve all these mysteries. And when I, once I grew out of that and thought, oh, that's babyish, uh, the Hardy Boys, I was introduced to the Hardy Boys, and man, these two brothers were sleuths, and I first learned that word, and, and they solved all these kind of mysteries and brought justice about, and uh, then you go on to more adult shows like Magnum P.I. Anybody remember that? Anybody like Magnum P.I.? Absolutely. Uh, yes, the original. I haven't watched the, I didn't even know there was a new one, but uh, Magnum P.I., good stuff, or Hawaii Five O, the original. Um, Columbo, you know, you've got this uh, bumbling old guy that's just kind of figuring out uh, where did I park the car and, and, and what, what's my name, and then all of a sudden he has a big zinger at the end uh, of, of his talk. And um, I actually thought of Columbo when Paul's talking about here because he starts talking in verse 6. He says, oh, by the way, this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. What? Again, this is breaking news. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they both belong to Christ Jesus. Oh my gosh, there's Pharisees' heads that are just blowing up. And they couldn't believe that. That's, that's, you can't talk like that. And, and they would kick you out of the temple, but yet Paul's saying, no, this is the new reality. And it's almost like Columbo uh, you know, would walk around and say, oh, there's just one more thing. Uh, guess what? We're all Gentiles. Yeah, unless any of us here are, are born Jewish, we're all considered Gentiles as far as this is concerned. We're all previously excluded out of the family of God. And because of the grace of God, that was shown through Christ Jesus, God's mysterious plan, crazy plan, is unfolding right before our very eyes. And I would say that any time, whether it's a, a young child or an adult that, that comes to hear the good news for the first time and it's, it's, it's sinking in and it's like it's, it's all of a sudden opening up the, a person's spiritual eyes, they're right here in Ephesians 3. Wow. You mean this is for me? You mean this is for me? I can take part in God's love? Wow. 
It's almost like, uh, and, and this has nothing spiritual to do with it, but it's almost like Oprah and her favorite things uh, uh, episodes. I saw it just once. Just once was enough to think, wow, that's, that's crazy. But at one point she says, and there's a car for you, and a car for you, and a car for you, and everybody gets a car. And that's how God is with His graciousness and His love. He says, there's grace for you, and there's grace for you, and there's grace for you, and there's grace for you. Doesn't matter who you are. And truly, verses 6 and 7 just encapsulate so much that would have been cutting edge. You know, if you try to, it's, it's hard for us to imagine, but try to imagine before Christ came, you were always looked at, discriminated against, looked at as a second citizen. You know, that's who we were if we were not born Jews. You know, you think of the, the 1960s and, and previously, uh, horrible time in our, uh, in, in, in our history in the U.S., where you had segregation just because of skin color. You had, you know, this is before I was born, but, you know, obviously I've seen documentaries and history and whatnot. You had colored and white water fountains, bathrooms, sometimes entire restaurants or different entrances discriminated against because of our color. Horrible. In, in Africa, the apartheid and, and the horrible discrimination that went on there. Spiritually, if you were not Jewish, I don't know if you're going to get in. Don't know if you're going to be able to partake in, in some of God's grace until Jesus came. Now, there were exceptions, obviously, and, and God did show His love to different people in different ways. But by and large, it was understood that if you're not Jewish, I don't know if you're going to be able to, you know, you play any reindeer games. <laughs> we were just all set apart as a different class. And Paul makes it very clear here that not only were both in Jews who believe and share the good news equally in the riches inherited by God's children. So a lot of times that would have come across as a slap in the face to the Jews but Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Everybody's on the same playing field now. There is no difference. That's the mysterious plan God had, is that He wants us to all enjoy the same level of grace, the same level of sonship and, and, and daughterhood, that we are all children if we believe in Christ Jesus. And then by his might and power in verse 7, Paul comes back again. I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. So Paul understood and, and, and didn't really go into repetition totally of what the Gospels did, but he took that and he's saying, God's given me a revelation of, of something else that Christ's presence and, and life and death and resurrection means that it's the ability for us all to become brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God Almighty. 
And then we, we look at that and, and not only is there no room for discrimination, we go on to the next section in verses 9 through 11. There was a secrecy and a purpose of the grace that was being hidden. You know, we often think, and I think it's rightly so, it's okay to question God. You know, He's, he's, he's a big boy. He, he created us. He knows that our minds and, and everything that we go through. So He knows that we have questions, doubts, fears, along with the joys and, and, and uh, good times. And so we often, I would think, and I've done this in my life, I don't know about you, but question, well, why did you do that, God? Why didn't you just go ahead and make you make your grace available to the to the Philistines and and, and to all the, the the people that you drove out when when your chosen people came into the promised land? Why why couldn't everybody have had your grace then? Why why did you have to wait until Jesus? And to be quite honest, I, I don't really understand the whole secrecy of it. But in verses 9 through 11, he says that, number one, it was to show off God's wisdom in its rich variety. He wants to show off his, his wisdom. And look at what it says in there. First of all, it was, it was you know, hidden, and then uh, he was chosen to show everything that was kept secret from the beginning. In verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. To whom? To all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, there are some things that even the angels, even the enemies of God, uh, the enemy, has no clue about, couldn't comprehend. He's got things hidden till just the right time. And bam! It changes the course of history in a good way. Because now that barrier was not only removed between God and mankind, but that we all have the ability to participate in the love of God. So sometimes... God does things in, in weird ways. That's why the Bible is very frank to say that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are different. His timing is different. He is different. And then the other thing that was uh, interesting behind the secrecy is that it's a culmination of salvation in a micro-setting. And what I mean by that is that not only did Christ remove the, the, the barriers for us that sin caused, but also remove the, any barriers to God, and that was shown on a, 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 a level that we could all see. You know, it was, le- it was on a humanly horizontal level that God was displaying His incredible grace. Because it's one thing if we individually seek God and, and, and vertically seek God and, and have this wonderful experience and transformation. 
but it's quite another when we can see how vast and wide it is to everybody. And it was opened to everybody. It was something that nobody's seen until that time. And again, I, I just repeat this because it's so important. Everyone has access to grace now. It's not reserved for certain people of certain lineages or birth. There's no longer any second-class citizen in God's economy. And that was huge. That would have been heretical at the time. It took quite a while for that to sink in in history for people to accept that in church leadership, which is sad, but then again, that's history, right? I like what uh, verse 12 says. The result of all this, of, of all this mysterious plans unfolding right before our eyes, is not only so that we can become co-heirs, inherit, inheriting the same as everybody else that had been God's chosen people. We are all now able to be God's chosen people, so to speak. But because of Christ and our faith in Him, some versions say that because of Christ's faithfulness in verse 12, because of Christ's faithfulness, I would say it would be both, Christ's faithfulness in uh, Christ's faithfulness and our faith in Him, because of that, verse 12 says, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Now, if you go and read the different uh, uh, revelations of, of what it's like, of John's revelation and, and the different pictures of the throne room of heaven, that is an all-inspiring place. I mean, I... I it's, it's something that movies should be made of. More movies should be made of because there's so many different ways you can, you know, think of that. If I was to see all these angels as they were described and these four living creatures, there's no way I'd be standing. <laughs> you know, I'd be trying to find the back door because that, that'd be kind of frightening, quite honestly. But yet we're told because of what Christ did, when we believe in Him and have faith in Him, because of His faithfulness, we can boldly go into the throne room of grace in God's presence. That doesn't mean without respect. That doesn't mean without awe. That doesn't mean that we can just say whatever we want or do whatever we want. But it does mean that we have the confidence that we belong and that He will hear and accept us as His children. You know, when I was pastoring, um, I pastored when my kids were, were young, and, and so a lot of times uh, they would escape from uh, whoever, uh, whichever church uh, uh, grandparent that we had there that was holding them, and, and sometimes they would escape and run right up to me. I never once, as their father, said, get out of here, I'm busy. I always accepted them and, and picked them up and made them part of my sermon. How much more will God accept us into His presence? Because they know that's my son, that's my daughter. I love them. I'm so proud of them. Whatever He's doing, He's going to take time for us so we can 
have faith and enter into His presence with that boldness and confidence that just didn't honestly exist before that. Literally, you could and probably would have gotten struck dead if you went into God's presence before Christ. And that's why it was reserved. Very, the Holy of Holies could be entered very strictly. There's such a big protocol that the high priest could only do once a year. And they didn't have total faith in him, so they tied a rope around his leg, seriously, to drag him out in case he did die, in case he was sinful. But now we can boldly come to the throne. All right, we're not going to get a, a lot to go into the next section, but uh, the next section, uh, Paul kind of wakes up in and, and, and verse 14, and, and he, he, he says something really powerful, and, and that's what I'm going to spend most of the last few minutes we have uh, together, is he has this prayer for us. He has this beautiful prayer. And, and not only uh, does he fall on his knees, as he says, but he comes out and he says to us uh, that I pray, in verse 16, that from his glorious riches, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Then we can go on to verse 17. Okay, that'll work. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So He's praying that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit so that through Christ, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I find it interesting that Paul, somebody that we should we would want to pray for if any you know if any of our church leadership were in in a real struggling time, we would want to be praying for them. And Paul is saying, "Oh, well, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of you who read this basically that you would have inner strength." And the answer to that prayer is that Christ lives within us in verse 17. He talks about roots. He talks in one version about being rooted and grounded in love. You know, when you ever think about something being rooted and grounded, you think of something strong and something that has depth. So Paul's praying that that when we have that inner strength, that we're not only going to come out as, as Christ living within us, but that that very act will be evidenced by the grounded and rootedness of our faith. Um, I find it interesting that the building codes uh, throughout the Midwest for mobile homes aren't as strict as they probably should be. Because just on its own, just on its own strength, uh, a strong wind that we often have here in, in Oklahoma can topple it over or tear it up or break it apart. But just the act of a couple of extra uh, bolts and, and fasteners and, and, and tie-downs that get grounded and make that thing grounded, it's more likely to survive. That's why houses, you know, they're, they're on a slab or they've they're, they got piers 
that go down into the ground. They're grounded. And in the same way, Paul is doing that, is saying this, that we will have Christ in our hearts, will be rooted and grounded so that we will be stable whenever the winds of life come around, whenever the chaos, which is going to happen to us all at some level, at some time, maybe multiple times, probably. And that in 18, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. Now, it, it, it kind of stood out to me that he's praying that Christ dwelling in us will give us the strength to know and comprehend what this love is. That's pretty bold. If you think about it, does it take strength to know the love of God? Apparently so. Apparently it takes strength to know how vast the love of God is. But it, he, he kind of he goes back and forth. He says, I want you to experience Christ's love in verse 19 so that we're made complete. But in verses 18 and 19, he says, but you're not able to fully understand God's love. So I want you to experience and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, he says, I want you to know, but yet you're not going to be able to fully know. (laughs) I want you to know and then experience it, but you can't fully know and understand. Or as this version says, it surpasses knowledge. So that we might be, and this is the result of experiencing Christ's love in verse 19, that we might be made complete for two things, fullness of life and power from God. Fullness of life and power from God. That, that's pretty awesome. I think that uh, we would all love that, right? That's, that's, that's pretty bold because the fullness of life or, or the experience that has been made full by Christ in us, dwelling, rooting us, making us to see how vast this love is. And that also because we are experiencing and living in that love, it will give us wonderful, extraordinary power from God. Now, he doesn't go into into, uh, depth about what that means, but... I think that's on purpose, that we can have the power of God in every area of our lives. And then in verse uh, 20 and 21, kind of a doxology, this is something that, a passage that many of us are familiar with, and I love that it's at the end of this scripture uh, because we can use this as a benediction as well. Even though he's talking to the Father, now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. That's something that most of us have heard before. That most of us uh, have heard that God will, this is usually how we hear it, do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. But notice there's a comma there. According to the power at work, within us. There's that power that he talked about just a verse before. That power has to come 
through Christ dwelling in our hearts, rooting us down, experiencing, helping us to experience the love of God. It all kind of ties together. Verses 20 and 21 is, is kind of the, uh, what ties the whole Scripture together. And then he says, glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Uh, amazing, you can pray that over yourself and over your family every day, and, and it probably would do some, some wonders uh, with that doxology. Uh, any, any thoughts or comments on this? Any, anything that you read as we were going through that kind of stood out to you and I didn't cover totally? Yeah, he was imprisoned uh, often, um, and, and one of the times that he was possibly referring to uh, was in Acts, where he brought in Greeks, uh, it, it's recorded in Acts, that he brought in Greeks into the temple in Acts 21, 28. And uh, so he, he calls himself, he refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ in verse 1. Yeah. Absolutely. And and there's a lot of times where he had to have somebody writing it for him and sending it off to the churches. So you're absolutely right. He had he had all these experiences and and from the day he got called, I mean zapped right on the road, uh he had all these experiences that gave him this depth of knowledge to that I'm sure it would have taken time to contemplate and to kind of digest and say, okay, how is this going to affect my friends in Rome, in Ephesus, in Galatia, Thessalonica, so forth and so on. So you're absolutely right. It was part of God's plan. And he never, he, he even said, hey, don't worry about me in this scripture. Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm suffering for you. It's okay. So he, he never played the victim at all. Good point. Any other thoughts? Either I put you to sleep or I did a fantastic job or both. Um, Thank you guys so much. Let's pray real quick. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.